Please turn with me uh, this evening uh, to our text. We're going to have a couple of readings this evening, but this evening, first of all, we're going to read our actual text, which is Psalm 124. Psalm 124. We're going to read the whole psalm together and in some measure consider the whole psalm together later on. But let us be instructed and enlightened as we read together God's word which is able to make the foolish wise. Let us hear God's word in Psalm 124. A song of ascents of David. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord, who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fathers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. This is God's word to us this evening. Turn again to our scriptures for a New Testament reading and a really quite obvious choice of a New Testament reading and companionship with Psalm 124, and that is Romans 8 and verse 31 till the end of the chapter, Romans 31, or Romans 8, sorry, and verse 31, uh, and reading through to the end of the chapter. It really, in very vivid language, underlines and highlights the truths that are set before us in Psalm 124. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. 
It will be helpful for you to have your Bibles open at Psalm 124 uh, this evening. What if the Lord was not on our side? Do you feel vulnerable as a Christian in today's present world? We're probably a little bit sheltered over in Northern Ireland, but we, we, we hear enough in the news, we read enough in maybe evangelical times or in Christian Institute literature to know that the pressure's on. We seem to be under attack from multiple fronts. Our views on gender are under attack. Our views on marriage are under attack. Our views on sexual ethics are under attack. Are we going to be outlawed from praying with people who come to us about certain subjects? These things worry us. They concern us. They give us anxious thoughts, as the psalmist we, as the psalm we just sang, voices it for us. But when we have anxious thoughts, remember, the Lord is for us. And that's the point of this psalm this evening. It's a psalm in which the psalmist reflects upon the past, and based upon what he sees in the past, he looks forward to the future with confidence. And that's something I think we need to do in today's world. There's not much encouragement now. But when we look back at the Lord's past dealings with us, there is confidence that we can have for the future. Specifically, the psalmist reflects upon how God had rescued and protected his people from all kinds of attacks and dangers in the past. And on that basis, what he knows to be true from the evidence of the past, from that he draws great encouragement for the future. We might wonder, can the church of Jesus Christ flourish in the conditions that exist in our land at this minute. Can the church of Jesus Christ flourish in the next 20 years? Can the church even survive, we might ask, at our, our most depressed moments? Well, I think from this psalm, among many other places in Scripture, we can say, yes, we can. Indeed, if we look back at the Reformation, Calvin had one saying, I think it was Calvin, uh, I think many reforms used it, uh, he said, after darkness light. When the world is in its darkest times, that's exactly the time when God can glorify himself most greatly by shining the light of the gospel in. He's done it before, and he can do it again. I want us to look at this psalm under three headings. We'll look at the psalmist's clear assumptions. We'll look at the psalmist's clear illustrations. And then we'll look at the psalmist's clear conclusion. Firstly, let's look at the psalmist's clear assumptions. We can see the psalmist assumes certain things in this psalm. And he doesn't state them explicitly or abundantly clearly, but he just assumes them. He doesn't plainly say, for example, the Lord was on our side in the past. He says it slightly different. He says, if it had not been that the Lord was on our side. 
Verse 1, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us then, and then he gives these horrible illustrations of what would have happened. He presupposes by putting it this way that the dangers that they faced were immense, huge, really, really threatening, and yet... Those terrible possibilities did not come to pass because the Lord was on his side. There's three assumptions that the the psalmist is working on here in this psalm. Firstly, he assumes, or you could put it this way, he is confident that the Lord has been on their side in the past. He may be speaking or ministering to his people, his friends, his neighbors, among whom were some who were losing confidence. They had many anxious thoughts and they didn't really see much possibility of improvement or change or survival. Perhaps they were even losing confidence in God's ability or willingness to protect them anymore or to keep them safe against the pressures that they were facing. You could almost imagine the psalmist having a conversation with one of his neighbors or one of his friends. And, and his friend says to him, we're done for. The enemy's too strong. They're too well organized. They're too well equipped. And we're far too weak. We're done for. And the psalmist says, no, no, hold on a minute. Remember. Remember what we have faced in the past. Remember how we faced enemies in the past that were greater than us. And we survived. Was not the Lord on our side back then? Remember that the Lord was on our side. But this person still can't be convinced. And so the the psalmist goes on to say what he says in this psalm. No, my friend, God is on our side. He always has been on our side. Let me prove it to you. And then he gives some poetic examples of what the Lord has done in the past for his people. We're not told the nations. We're not told the people that, that, that caused these attacks that were survived because the Lord was on our side. But we can guess at them. If it had not been the Lord who was on God's people's side in Egypt, would they not have been wiped out by Pharaoh and his slavery? If it had not been the Lord who was on Israel's side when they faced the Philistines, would the Philistines not eventually have wiped them out? Or the Amalekites? Or any other of the enemies that they faced, the Midianites in the days of Gideon? If it had not been the Lord that was on their side, perhaps when Assyria and Babylon came and attacked them and instead of wiping them out, just took them into exile, wouldn't they have been wiped out? If it had not been the Lord who was on their side when they were in exile, in snares perhaps we might say, in a foreign land, well then they would still be there. Everything the psalmist says in this psalm is grounded on this assumption, on this confidence that based on clear, obvious evidence, the Lord has always been on his people's side. 
Friends, there's a simple application to us. We must be confident that the Lord is on our side because he tells us that he is on our side. As we look at the evidence around us, as we look at the size of the enemy and the numerous people who are attacking the church and their, their authority and their, their, their influence, well, you, would, you might say, well, we're, we're done for. But the Lord is on our side. It's now what we read in Romans 8 verse 31. And again, it's interesting how Paul kind of doesn't say God is for us. He says, if God is for us, what shall we say then? If God is for us, who can be against us? His assumption too is that the Lord is for us. And we can add very many other numerous teachings of Jesus himself that he is always with his people. Even to the end of the age, that he is always by our side. That he will not allow the gates of hell to prevail against the church. No matter what is happening, or what could happen, or what will happen, we can be confident of this. We can assume this on the basis of God's word to us, and on the basis of how he has historically acted towards his people, that the Lord is with us. He's on our side. Psalm 118, verse 6, The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper, I shall look and triumph on those who hate me. This is the first assumption we must ever keep close to our hearts as we face what we are facing, and we might face a lot worse in the future, but as we anticipate what we might face, Maybe you, in your college, your school, your university, your workplace are already facing the consequences of some of the current madness that has overtaken the Western world. Don't forget the Lord is on your side. The second assumption that the psalmist is working on is this. Even if someone else was on our side, it wouldn't have helped much. He's confident that the Lord is on his side. But his other second assumption is that even if someone great, someone mighty other than the Lord was on our side, well, it wouldn't really matter much anyway. It wouldn't help much. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, he says. Israel sometimes had allies. But even when they had allies, it wasn't the allies who secured their safety. It was the Lord. That's what's implied in this phrase. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, then we would have been destroyed. He's implying that no matter who else is on your side is not the key thing to remember. The key thing to remember is that the Lord is on our side. You can have a great army on your side, but the enemy can still overcome you. You could have a powerful ally on your side in a political place, but the enemy can still overcome you. But as long as you have the Lord on your side, nothing can overcome you. He's warning us against putting our confidence in the wrong people, the wrong places, the wrong things. It's not that we don't appreciate the help and the support of various people. I was watching some of the debates in the House of Lords last, last week, and it was encouraging to see people supporting us. And supporting our Christian views and supporting our, our right God-given to pray with people who are struggling with various things. But even with their help, unless the Lord is on our side, 
we will not overcome these attacks. We dare not put our confidence in the wrong things. Whether it's wars or illness or poverty or persecution or afflictions, we must place our faith in the Lord and our confidence in him. It's the Lord's help that is critical, not any other help. That's what Psalm 146 reminds us. Put not your trust in princes and a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. As you face dangers and risks and temptations and satanic attack, where does your hope come from? Who is on your side? Whoever it is, is very weak compared to the Lord. Put your confidence in the Lord every time, all the time, totally and completely. That's where your security lies. And that's what Psalm 94 tells us as well. Who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. The critical thing is not whether there is going to be any help from anyone else or not. The critical thing is, will the Lord help us? Yes, he will. The psalmist in Psalm 4 says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. So the first assumption is that the Lord is on our side. The second assumption is that the critically important one to have on your side is the Lord. It doesn't matter if you have other people on your side or not. You need the Lord. And the third assumption in our psalm is related closely to those two. And that is that the strength of the enemy, the psalmist realized this, the strength of the enemy was absolutely overpowering for him, but not even slightly overpowering for the Lord. The psalmist saw that the strength of any enemy was absolutely overpowering for him and for any other help, it might be added, but it's never overpowering for the Lord. These illustrations that are given, we'll look at them in the more detail uh, about uh, being uh, like prey in the teeth of wild animals and snared by feathers and so forth. They, they paint a picture of a very grim situation. It's a very gloomy situation. They portray to us complete destruction, death, holocaust, genocide, the wiping out of God's people. There would have been no escape if the psalmist was on his own or if the psalmist had the help of other people. If the Lord had not been on our side, the end was inevitable. But nothing that the psalmist faced and nothing that God's people faced could ever overwhelm the Lord. Nothing can overwhelm us and frighten us when we have confidence in the Lord because nothing can overwhelm him. We're sometimes very few in number but as Elisha pointed out to his servant there are more for us than against us and that's the case in every situation. We just need the faith to see it. God had a host of angels that were for them. It mattered not the strength of the enemy. 
We sometimes lack wisdom, but the Lord supplies wisdom and guidance and light for the steps of his people by his word and his spirit. There's no enemy. There is nothing. There is no situation that is too great for the Lord. So in everything, like the psalmist, assume these truths. If you are a Christian, God is for you. He's on your side. And there's no other helper that you can have, be they ever so valuable to you, that can adequately protect you even close to the way that God can or give help to you the way the Lord can. And assume this, be confident in this, that there is no enemy or situation that is too hard for the Lord, too great for the Lord. He is able. Nothing overwhelms him. So those are the assumptions on which the psalmist is operating here. But secondly, let's look at the psalmist's clear illustrations, having seen his clear assumptions. just want us to to briefly look at the, the way he describes the attacks that they have survived by God's help. They, in a sense, are describing real events, but in another way, they, they aren't describing real events. They are, they are, are describing the feelings of vulnerability and the, the, the real danger that God's people were in. As I said earlier, we're, we don't have the Philistines mentioned here, the Amalekites or the Egyptians. That's who's being referred to. But rather, this, the psalmist, as, as, as poetry, as poets are prone to do, is using graphic language to communicate the very real, acute, extreme danger that God's people were in. He doesn't give us statistics. He gives us a feeling of terror. A terror that is dissolved by confidence in the Lord. Look at the situations and how he describes them. And it's violent stuff. It almost needs an 18 plus warning on some of this. If, if you really understand what's being communicated here. Let's just read through this psalm a little bit and make a few comments. Uh, the idea from beginning to end from, from verse 6 onwards is of being utterly, con- utterly destroyed. That was what faced, the God's people faced in these various times when that the psalmist had in mind they were at threat of being utterly consumed fed upon by their enemies eaten up overwhelmed devastated and destroyed by the enemies that they faced that's what the psalmist says in verse three if the lord had not been on our side then our enemies would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us he describes the, the enemies as being like wild animals devouring their prey. Think of the crocodile uh, attacking the the, uh, way they float up along the water and jump out at the wee antelope. And the the wee antelope's gone in one gulp almost. Think of the lion that pounces or the tiger that pounces on some little creature in the jungle. That's how powerful our enemies are. That's how vulnerable we are. But blessed be the Lord, verse 6, who has not given us to the prey as prey to their teeth. Then we see a picture. The picture changes from a wild animal attacking God's people to a, a picture of a flood overwhelming God's people. Verse 4, then if, if the Lord had not been on our side, then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then, we would have go, then over us would have gone the raging waters. 
It's a picture maybe of a flash flood. Or you think about it in biblical terms, it's a picture of the Red Sea closing in on Egypt while God's people before that had walked through safely. It's a picture of a, of a tsunami. You remember, the, wasn't it New Year's Day? I'm not sure what year it was, 2004 or something, when you had the, the earthquake out there in uh, uh, the Indian Ocean. Uh, and this huge tsunami swept across all uh, countries all around the area and devastated them. Think about the devastation in Japan. And it looked as if the tidal wave was only you know, a few feet high, but yet it swept buildings away, cars away, boats away, people away. That's how powerful our enemies are. That's how vulnerable we are. We are like specks of dust in a, a flood that is rolling out of a broken dam. That's the violence that we face. That's the danger we face from our enemies. And then the next picture is of being trapped and snared without any possibility of escape. Verse 7, we have escaped, however, like a bird from the fowl of the snares, the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped because the Lord was on our side. The psalmist's point is, how could, how could we as God's people, little, little Israel, how could we ever have escaped such situations? How could we ever have freed ourselves from such situations? How could we ever have kept our head above the water? How could we ever have escaped away from the devouring beast? And the point is, you wouldn't. What's all this illustrating for us? Well, it might be illustrating modern culture. The media is always attacking us. The interviewers are often trying to trap us in snares. They're always trying to influence our young people and us away from living by the truth and righteousness that Scripture sets before us. How can we withstand such pressures? How can we not be swept away by those pressures? How can we not be trapped by those enemies? It might be illustrating any attack of the church and, and our weakness to any attack. We're only a few people. Even taking all evangelical churches in Northern Ireland, only a few people now. Bible Belt Ulster's gone. The vast majority of people will not have been in church today worshipping God. Certainly not with true, sincere hearts. But I think because of the language used in these illustrations, the Lord is really communicating to us about one particular enemy who stands behind everything that we are facing today. And that, of course, is Satan. All of these illustrations are fitting to Satan's activity against the church. Listen to how Satan is described in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Doesn't that match up with verse 2 and verse 6? This beast with teeth that we almost fell into but God rescued us from. 
Satan is pictured in Revelation 13 as this beast. Listen to how he's described in Revelation 13 verse 1. I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads and ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like bears and its mouth were like a lion's mouth. Can you think of the devastation such a beast would have on one of us? Ultimately, the psalmist is describing how the Lord is our help. The only the Lord is our help against the devastating wickedness and violence of Satan against us. Then we read here about an overwhelming flood. The torrent would have gone over us. The, the floods would have swept us away. The raging waters would have poured over us. Does not match up with Revelation 12 verse 15 where the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with the flood. And what about those snares and traps? Well, isn't that exactly the strategies that Satan uses against God's people? In 2 Timothy, as Paul describes those who have fallen away from Christ, he urges Timothy to do his best to help them so that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil. The devil, the deceiver, is always laying traps for us to trip us up, to capture us, to weaken us, to hinder us. In all these ways then, in all these descriptions in Psalm 124, we see the strength and the violence of Satan and we see our weakness. And yet we are only weak if the Lord is not on our side. We read of floods overwhelming potentially God's people in Isaiah chapter 43. And to those who are under threat of being overwhelmed, the Lord says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. These illustrations overall have got one primary purpose then. They show us, yes, Satan's power. And yes, they show us our weakness. But above everything else, they show us the power of Christ to overcome and protect and secure us and guide us and bring us safely home. It's Christ who breaks the enemy's teeth, the psalmist tells us. It's Christ who lifts us out of the overwhelming flood of Satan's violence against us. It's Christ who enables us to break free from the snares and traps. For every temptation there's a way of escape provided. With the Lord Jesus Christ on our side, we need not fear any enemy. But what if the Lord is not on your side? The Lord is on the side of his people, those who trust in him. Those who have looked to him for salvation. Those who have been reconciled to him. Those who are now his children by adopting grace. 
What if you're one of those people who hasn't had their sins forgiven, hasn't come to the Lord, hasn't been reconciled to the Lord, is no longer, isn't a friend of the Lord, but is actually an enemy of the Lord? What, what, what happens when Satan comes against you? As he does, as he is, and as he will. Well, all that's left is the utter, utter destruction that is described here in this psalm. If you're not trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are not secured by the grace of Jesus Christ, Satan is going to rip you to shreds and drag you to spend eternity in the lake of fire forever with him. That's what he wants. He may have fooled you into thinking that you don't need a saviour. He may have tried to fool you that you don't need to worry about this salvation stuff. He might have fooled you by science and you have bought into the idea, well, death's the end, all animals die and that's it. There is no heaven, there is no hell. He might have fooled you into thinking, well, I'm only a young person. I'll sort these matters out in 10 years' time or 20 years' time when I've got my career sorted, when I've got my sporting uh, accolades all in the cupboard, when I've got all my trophies lined up, then I'll think about God and salvation. And too late, if you persist in that way of thinking, you will realize that it was all the lies of Satan. But this safety that is described here is offered in the gospel for every sinner. All of us deserve to go where Satan is going. But anyone who comes to the Lord for mercy and forgiveness can be forgiven and can be given this confidence and this security and that forever. So we've seen the psalmist's clear illustrations. They're violent. But they're a wake-up call perhaps to some of us. The dangers are real. But thirdly and finally, look at the psalmist's clear conclusion. Verse 8. Simple and straightforward. Given the rest of the psalm, it doesn't need much explanation. He just concludes the psalm, after all this drama, all this violence, just very simply. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. That's it. Based on the past rescues that he knows about, the psalmist is utterly confident and utterly sure that the Lord is his help and he is the help of all his peoples. He is confident that the Lord is on his side and really that's all he needs to know. Our help now and forever is in the name of the Lord. But there's one point that we need to think about. Who is this Lord? It's the Lord who made heaven and earth. Almost seems like a sort of a throwaway statement as if, well, I just need to put three more words in here to get the rhyming structure right or something like that, but it's not. Something I have noted in the Psalms especially, but elsewhere in Scripture, is that when the psalmist is growing in confidence in the Lord, nine times out of ten, he calls God by this title or something like it. My confidence is in the Lord who made the heaven and earth. Why does he do that? 
This is why the doctrine of God's creation of all things is so important. It's not to win arguments over scientists. It's to reassure us and remind us who the Lord is. The Lord is the almighty God of infinite power who called all things into being by the word of his mouth. He said, let it be and it was. Everything that we can see, everything that we are, is by God's infinite power. He is almighty. He is the one that no enemy can withstand. That's the point. No one can overcome God. He's the creator. He made the heavens and the earth. Protecting us as the church is easy. We need to remember who the Lord is as we're putting our confidence in the Lord. No enemy. Not the media. Not the internet. Not some great puffed up king or emperor or president. Not Satan himself can overcome the Lord who is the creator of heaven and earth. Friends, we face what appears to be a fairly frightening future. Scary future. But we don't need to be fearful. Why? Because the Lord is on our side. Be like the psalmist in Psalm 56. He says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. When you're watching the news tomorrow, and you hear another grim tale of foolishness and wickedness, remind yourself, I trust the Lord, and he is on my side. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Jesus tells us not to fear those who can kill the body, but can't harm the soul, but fear him who can throw body and soul into hell. That's the Lord. We are more than conquerors through Christ, we're told in Romans 8. Is the Lord on your side? And be confident for the future. Doesn't mean everything's going to be nice and easy and simple and straightforward and going to be brilliant. But it does mean that the gates of hell will never prevail over the church. It does mean that the gospel will be maintained if we remain faithful to it. Be confident in the Lord. No matter what happens in your life or in this world, the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, is for you. He is on your side. And when you have the Lord on your side, we need fear nothing else. May God encourage us in these potentially very difficult days to keep trusting in God. God has always been faithful to his people. Read it in scriptural history. Read it in church history. Look at it in your own life. And put your faith fully, wholly, and completely in him. May God bless his word to us this evening. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we confess that sometimes we are weak in faith. We tend to see the size and the power and the influence of our enemies.
And instead of looking to you, we look to our own strategies. We look to our own uh, abilities. But we see in this psalm that there's no hope in those things alone. Our only hope is you. So Lord, we pray that you would encourage us. That no matter what the threat, no matter what the dangers, no matter what the risks, our help is found in you. And help us not to look at you and to you when we have tried everything else and failed. Help us rather to consistently and continually look to you first. And then in trust and in faithfulness do what the rest of your word has called us to do. To faithfully live. To be righteous. To not fall into patterns of sin. To resist the devil that he might flee from us. So we pray, Lord, equip us and encourage us and help us to trust in you no matter what the future lies for us. Knowing that should we die in the service of Christ, that we will go straight into the very presence of Christ and that forever. So encourage us with these truths, we pray, as we ask in Jesus' name. I receive the blessing of the Lord. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.